Hi, I'm Dan Worth. Welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast. In this episode, we chat with Mark Lepard, the head teacher of the British School of Alcobirat in Dubai, to hear about why he still teaches lessons in the school, despite being the head, and the benefits he believes this brings to his leadership. He also talks about the school's own leadership program that he developed for A-level students, and why he thinks this is an important part of their time with the school to augment their learning. And he also touches on why heads need to make sure they maintain close relationships with other heads or senior leaders to avoid the loneliness that can occur when leading a school. All that and lots more on the latest TES International Podcast. Mark, welcome to the TES International Podcast. Great to chat with you. How are you today? Yeah, good. Um, as I said, always all heads are busy, all schools are busy. So uh, just like any other normal day, but yeah, all doing well. Thank you. Great, great. And uh, set the scene a little bit. Where are you exactly? What's your role? What's the weather like out the window? Yeah, um, you see behind me, the, the weather's very sunny. Um, it's probably about 32 degrees outside. I'm, uh, I'm the headmaster of the British school, al which is a not-for-profit British embassy school in Abu Dhabi. Um, it's one of the oldest schools, and uh, I've been here for eight years, but for 27 years in the region. So I was in Qatar before that as well. Wow. Yeah. So 27 years. So um, <laughs> I suspect a lot of people listening will, will have come across you in one, one way or another over the years. And those that don't will, will also find what we're going to talk about very interesting, which is, which is a very, because we were talking for a while about doing a podcast and you suggested this topic and I immediately really you know, sprang out to me, which is the topic of why you still teach, even though you're, you know, you're running the school, obviously very busy man, but you still find time to teach. So just in that, what, what is it you, you teach and how often? Yeah, so up up until recently, uh, my my, back, my two subjects are uh, PE, sport, and history. Um, I have taught history infrequently, but I've taught PE up until the last three years. And then more recently, I teach a, a leadership course, which is our self-written course within the school for year 12 students, uh, partly to prepare them for university applications, just talk about leadership. Um, I think all schools say, you know, we should be developing next generation of future leaders. So we've put our sort of money where our mouth is and we started talking about what, what makes great leadership, what makes bad leadership. And every year, Dan, honestly, I can say I, I learn something about leadership from our students. And for me, that's absolute privilege to have that. So that, that's the sort of background of what I teach at the moment. That's really interesting. I see. So, so PE, history, and then your own like created leadership course. That's, that's fascinating. And on, in terms of the lessons, the, the, the PE and the history then, is that something you've always maintained? Like even as you started to become a head teacher, did you think, I want to make sure I've still got that classroom contact? Or was it something that you sort of came back to after a few years? Yeah, I, I didn't deliberately do it. Um, I had quite an interesting route into headship. There, there was, um, I got moved into headship uh, at very short notice. There was a quite a turnaround of, of our school's leadership team. Um, and as you know, once the term starts in September, so I, I found out I was head over the summer, so we didn't have a staffing model that would necessarily support me not teaching. So I just carried on. Um, it wasn't sustainable in a full timetable, but I carried on as much as I could. And then we juggled things. But at the end of the year, reflecting, I just found it um, very beneficial to me. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily beneficial to the students. Depends how good a teacher you are. But for me, um, I, I found it was a way of stepping away from the office um, and your own space and keeping in touch with what you actually train to do. So I, I found that really interesting. Um, so from a selfish point of view, I kept doing it. And ever since then, I've made sure I'm on the timetable somewhere. Sometimes it might only be one lesson a week, but I just feel that bit of interaction, there's many benefits. One, personally, you can't be touched at that time. That's your space to be with the students. Um, it gives you connection to the students. Um, 
to hear their daily angst and things like that. So that, you know, I haven't got a big teaching load, but I'm able to actually talk to the students. And, and part of it is to get an insight of how the school's going. You know, that, that's interesting where you, you're not bringing them into the office. You're not doing surveys. You're just getting a pulse for things. And I found that connection to the classroom really useful for me for those sort of things. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. When you, I can understand why you're saying it's not a huge amount in terms of, you know, like timetabling, but so how does that work? Are you, are you slotting in with another teacher's class? Like, so that you just pick up one lesson within every block of six or are you actually taking a certain module within that course or how does that actually work? It's varied at different times. So my, my later PE stuff has really been sharing a class. So someone will do, so say that that group have five lessons over a fortnight. Um, someone might take three lessons and I take two and we coordinate. What are you taking? Where are we with that? And I, you know, just follow on um, their scheme of work. So it's done like that. The leadership one, myself and a couple of others have written um so really that's just me and it's one lesson per fortnight uh for one group but i take five groups so in a in a fortnight i take five lessons but they're to five separate groups so it's a repeat of the lesson but i can hon- honestly say not uh, it's exactly the same starting point each lesson they because it's a discussion concept all five lessons are, i end up teaching them very differently because it's where the discussion goes and every group is different so I really like that variety because you, it, it could become a bit mundane if I'm doing the same one five times, but it's not at all. Well, that, that does sound really interesting. I think we'll, we'll come on to that again in more detail shortly. But what I want to say on the, on the again on the teaching side on the on the subjects and so forth. Do you how I mean how common is that or not or uncommon? You know, do you speak to other heads when you mention that they sort of really you know, and or do you know others that do it? And you, say, you know, obviously without wanting to say to others, you should be doing this, it sounds like you would sort of say, well, actually, there's lots of benefits. If, if you can make it work for you, it really seems to benefit you, you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've just had exactly the same discussion this morning, uh, half an hour ago with the um, head of the French embassy school here. And in the French system, the head does not teach. That is it. They, they literally take an exam and step away from teaching. And that's, that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I wouldn't be critical of people who do not teach or who teach more. Um, I think it's horses for courses. I think it also um, is whether you've got the capacity at the time. So so of my, I'm just trying to think, um, of my 17 years as head, there was one year I didn't teach because we had a large build project on. And what I didn't want to do is to commit to something and then put the onus on someone else because I couldn't make those lessons. So I always try and make the lessons. Um, If I'm away recruiting on a conference, I've planned that in in the year. And with the leadership course, it's a lot easier than... Uh, one that's sort of set with the national curriculum because I can say to the students, these lessons, their sixth form, will not be going on here, but these are the areas I want you to do wider reading on, for example. There's a bit of flexibility. Um, but I wouldn't judge anyone on, you know, should you do it? I, I find it personally very rewarding to keep me in touch with certain aspects of the school. And I would recommend it if people could do it through capacity or time. But, you know, there, there are times I know some heads who absolutely don't teach don't see that as their role anymore but a brilliant heads at finding information about the school in another way so it's just the way i sort of work on that now that makes a lot of sense like you say some people probably have already built too much other work into their into their days it sounds like in a way because you always tried to keep it from the start you always made sure you had that capacity within your headship role to make it happen which sounds like a sort of it, it was almost a legacy thing that you've thought actually this works really well for me which is which is quite nice 
Yeah, I think that's a good description. It's, it's, yeah, it's not to say it works for everyone, but at the start of, when we start doing the timetable, I'll speak to the timetable and say, can you put me in for this amount? I think we can do that next year. And, you know, while he's creating the timetable, I might, something might come up and say, actually, can you reduce it? Or I've got a bit more capacity. You can put another lesson there if you need. So, it, it, you know, through, through planning that it works, it wouldn't work if I just dropped myself in or said, I'm committing to, a, to this all the time, regardless, because things come across your desk. And the last sort of practical question in the way on that is, again, purely talking about in your setting, of course, how do you find other staff, I'm thinking maybe particularly new staff, feel when they discover that you, you teach as well? Do you think that's a sort of, a, well, yeah, what do, you, what do you think they think of that? It does raise eyebrows initially, particularly if they've come from a school where the head hasn't taught. And that's, again, not judgmental. They just think, oh, I thought the norm was you didn't teach. Um, you know, I've got examples of, of heads who do teach, uh, uh, fantastic teachers, in fact, and... Um, and do similar to me and, and want to continue that. And I've got examples of great heads who don't teach and are effective in another area. So if you've if the staff member has come from a school where the their previous head hasn't taught, it often raises an eyebrow, but um, they, they soon get used to it. So onto the um on the, on that leadership thing then that's also super interesting. And I suspect you're absolutely right what you said earlier, like everyone you hear a lot of that, you know, we're 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 you know, we're teaching the next generation of leaders and, and people that are going to lead the world forward and whatever domain that might be. But to actually then say, okay, but let's actually, like you said, put our money where our mouth is. How did that, where did that begin life? And and how did you then actually create a curriculum or, or a set of lessons on that? You know, how did you actually, because there's so much, isn't there, in leadership you could talk about. How did you decide on what actually would be relevant for this age group, should we say? Yeah, I'm, I'm still deciding on what's relevant because quite often I let the kids start with me and then they sort of pick their own journey or as a group but yeah it started really um i i we teach a levels here and i think the a level curriculum is fantastic but like anything it could be better and i really like some of the elective areas of the ib curriculum so we were saying how do we enrich our a level curriculum um we have extended project qualification where students write a an essay away from necessarily their um, area of study. I've had students writing about crypto. I've had students writing about gaming theory and politics of all sorts. Um, and we really like that. So we said, actually, not every student is going to write that essay, but how can we get students to look wider than their traditional three subjects? And we thought a leadership course. So we, we got it registered with the Institute of Leadership and Management. So it's a, it's a accredited course. Um, it started off with um, a, a leadership element that I teach. They do some voluntary leadership um, so maybe volunteering, leading groups, uh, you know, scouts or something like that. Um, then they then they do um, uh, a mini, what we call an M, mini M, MBA. So it's a it's a sort of an abridged MBA linked with the university here. And they also do a, a small essay. And if they want to, that essay can be extended to a full EPQ. So it's a it's a structured course. It took us about a year to write, and probably since we've written it, each year we we change it slightly. Um, just to, I found working with the Institute of Leadership Management was fantastic, but I felt my element of the course became a bit too restricted. I was almost going through a tick box list. So we'd pulled away from that part of it since. That's not a criticism of ILM. It was just, it didn't work for us as a, a course. So um, when we, going back to your sort of, that's the structure of it. And then going back to the bit I, I teach, um, we really start off with the question, what is leadership? And it's, it's, you know, just throw the open question in and see what comes back. And then from those discussions, we start following up saying, well, why do you think leadership is like that? Where have you seen that? Where have you seen that not working? Can you think of uh, leaders who you think are strong examples of that? 
Uh, have you got examples of leaders that are not good examples of leadership, uh, strong leadership? Uh, and then you have have debates, you know, about Donald Trump, about Gandhi. Uh, you know, David Attenborough is featured as a leader in his field. You know, it's it's not necessarily a political leader or or, or uh, an official leader as such. Uh, does leadership have to have a title? Um, you know, it's it's all, can you be at a lower level in an organisation and still lead it? it there's lots. It, that's the sort of variety, but that comes from the students' discussions, not necessarily me. Uh, I might throw the first stimulating question, and then they go go with the rest. Yeah, but there's lots of really interesting insights around how you did it. And, and just to clarify one thing, there, so the, the bit about the Institute for Leadership Management, are you saying that you you did start off with an accreditation from them, but you moved away from that, or are you still accredited through them? We're still accredited, but I don't. We don't accredit that leadership course at the moment. We're looking if we can be a bit more flexible. So we we found it was interesting. I think COVID impacted it quite a lot as well because we tried to carry it on through COVID and. and it was really difficult. It's quite an interactive course that we, we try and operate, that we have small discussion groups. And I know on Zoom you can have breakout rooms, but it was it just it didn't flow as a normal classroom would. Um, and then when we came back, I just felt we were teaching to a prescriptive matrix. And it was it it felt as though it was stifling some of the conversations. I think we need to work the ILM framework better, if that makes sense. I, rather than it was, I don't think it's a bad framework. I just think we need to to work it better. So that's probably a next development for us, get back into it and then say, how can we have this free-flowing creative course which stimulates discussions among students but still meet these criteria? And that's where I think we're at at the moment. Yeah. Well, the, the, going back to the sort of the, the actual teaching of it then, that sounds really interesting, like you say, to sort of throw that out there and have those debates. But where do you go with it next when you've done that? Is it then that they go away and write something? Do you set them a challenge, a, a case study? I mean, how, what do they actually do then to sort of any learning around that or is it or is the purpose just to have a, a conversation to get them thinking a, a bit of that um the timing of it is um we, we we teach it in year 12 and we finish um around about easter so we don't do it in term three and the reason being obviously they're preparing for exams and university applications but the the two terms that we do uh, and we do dip in in the third term but at the two two first two terms it's in preparation for them to apply for head boy, head girl, deputy head boys. Uh, uh, we've got uh, United Arab Emirates ambassadors, as in as a, as a, a group. Um, we've got prefects. So it's to help them apply for roles. And so when they're in an interview, if someone says, what's your leadership style? Can you give examples? They've actually got something to, to pull on rather than, you know, saying, oh, I'm autocratic. Well, what does that mean? You know, we talk about all those sort of things. So they've got some, some knowledge of it. It helps with university applications. Um, you know, I think universities, when students are applying, grades are very, really important, but lots of students will have the grades. If they can say they've undertaken a leadership course and what they've done on that, there's a discussion at the university interview process. Um, so it's, it's, to, it's to really broaden their horizons and, and say, you know, leadership isn't just a badge that you get because you've got to the top of something. It can, you can lead. My, my opening question, funny enough, is always hands up if you think you're perceived as a leader. And, you know, as humans, we don't like putting our hands up for that sort of question. And I turn around and say to them, you all are perceived as leaders. And they said, no, we're not. It's the normal way. And, uh, and in our school, we have the, the children up until year 11, including year 11, wear a blue shirt. And in sixth form, they wear a white shirt. And I said, you ask any student with a blue shirt, what are they aspiring to? And they'll all say, I want a white shirt. So you're seen as leader. And then and they say, oh, I didn't see it like that. And that's when the discussion starts. Yeah, yeah. And, and on that university point, though, because that is an interesting, one, isn't it? Is, are, is there a thing they get then? Can they say, you know, I've been on, I've done this course, and the university would know what that is, or is it, or you know, it, and it's backed by this? I guess that comes back to that accreditation point, or is it more just, 
our school does this, but obviously there's a depth of knowledge they then can bring in and go, oh, and we learned about this, we talked about that, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, that was the part of the ILM, why we did the accreditation. Um, and uh, um, they don't get anything now um, in terms of a formal qualification, but we do ask them to put on their um, application, you know, I've undertaken the, the Bruce Guacabara Leadership Programme. If I was a university lecturer at the interview, I'd say, well, what is that? And there's your talking point. And that's, it's to open up that talking point. It's not the piece of paper. It's, well, tell me about it. What have you learned? What, what are you taken away from that? And how are you using it? They're the sort of questions that I hope come up. No, it's, it sounds really interesting. And, I, and uh, I'll put you on the spot here slightly, but I think you said earlier on the record, like, you know, you've never had a lesson that's sort of gone in the same direction twice. You know, what are some of the good sort of things you've had come back then? And, and again, any that, you know, for you yourself as, as a leader have sort of thought, actually, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I've never thought of that. Or maybe I need to get better at that. Or maybe as a school, we need to improve that. Do you know what I mean? Anything like that you can think of? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things we're, we're currently revisiting our vision. Um, and we, we set our vision out seven years ago. And, and I've said very openly to the students, this vision was written. And we, when we did the vision, it was we incorporated students, uh, parents, staff, governors, community in the forming of it. You know, what, what does the school represent? The usual sort of, you know, let's, let's reach out to stakeholders. And we're revisiting it because seven years ago, rightly or wrongly, uh, sustainability, diversity, well-being did not feature in our vision as prolific. I'm not saying we don't care about them, but they didn't feature as prolific. So I've said, there's three big agenda topics there. What do we think of that? And, and, you know, some of the some of the students talking about diversity, and, and I haven't got control of that. I've just thrown three topics, and then they talk about what they see diversity as or what they see sustainability as or what they see well-being as, and I've got no control. So, And from one group to another, from one table to another, you'll get different discussions. We've had discussions about, you know, was Donald Trump a good leader, uh, rightly or wrongly, and, and I'm not talking politics here, but there's there's certain messages or certain ways he got somewhere you could say that is a leadership tactic now if it worked it's an effective tactic whether you like it or not and the students talk openly about it you know there's as long as it's as long we say as long as the discussions are not intended to cause harm or offense and i think the intent is the important word there then we should listen and be free to challenge as well and that's so at the beginning once we once we sort of set ourselves up we actually say how do we how should we behave in this lesson and we, we set out um, rules of engagement or, you know, parameters and we say, you know, everyone should listen. We shouldn't be using, you know, we shouldn't be distracted. We shouldn't cut across someone when they're talking. We should respect the view even if we don't agree with it. And, and the, the, best, the best leaders and, the, you know, the best debaters get inside of the, call it the opponent or the other perspective. And that's what we're trying to engage with. No, that, that sounds fascinating. And I can, you can see, you can well imagine those topics you, you mentioned in particular that really generate some powerful debate. And I think it's quite understandable that they were, they were always important, but they weren't maybe given the, the focus and the, and the spotlight that now they are for, for various reasons that they, they've come to light now um, as really important. And the thing that really struck me there and talked about is something that I hear a lot from international school leaders is that sort of value add, you know, something like this. It's not part of the curriculum. It's not going to get you a, a grade at the end of it, but it's actually, it's, it's going into another domain of what you want from a school experience, right? So what, what has been the feedback like from parents? Because I imagine you must have, you know, lots of people there who come from, you know, families with good jobs and who are leaders themselves. Presumably it's something they are on board with or, or do they sort of question why you're doing it at all? Yeah, no, I've, I've, um, I've had questions of why we're doing it, more to understand it because it's not, you know, a formal 
piece of uh, you know uh, the curriculum in terms of timetable or academic subject that they're going to take further in terms of qualification. But I've, I've actually had feedback. So we, we had one, to give you sort of an example, we had one where I was talking about um, the use of social media. And then we got onto the use of mobile phones. And, and we were talking about that. And I, I said, as teenagers, your, your, your role as a teenager, part of your role is to explore and challenge and push the boundaries. That, that's what you should be doing in, in the right way. Uh, and we, we were talking about that. And I said, if your mum said to you, oh, go and do the washing up or now go and make your bed and now go and walk the dog and now go and wash the plates, you would push back because you, you, know, you, you, you don't like being told what to do. I said, but your mobile phone with all the pushes that come out to, you know, from notifications and bleeps, and I said, your phone is telling you what to do as a teenager. I said, how do you feel about that? And then we just started talking about taking control of things. And you know, that, that wasn't on the curriculum, but we actually started saying, and the parent came back to me, going back to your question, the parent came back and said, my daughter came home and said, they don't want their phone to be like their mum. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And she said, and she talked, and she almost verbatim said, what I had said. And I said, oh, that's good. And she said, yeah, no, thank you. We've been trying to control that, but you've put it in a way where it's actually, you know, the phone's taking control. And as a teenager, they need to push back. So it, was, it wasn't intended. It's, you know, as through the discussion, I didn't have that as my intending point, my main teaching point. It just came out. But parents do feedback, had parents feedback as well about universities saying, it came up and they had something to talk about on leadership. So, you know, those sort of things. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, and I can well imagine the parents like you again, I, I can imagine them really engaging with that. And but I suppose the last question, the most important one is the pupils. And obviously you've, you've described a scene in which they, they do engage and they really enjoy it. But, but just to sort of really put some more detail on that again, do they come in ever with a sort of, Oh, what's this? Why are we doing this? Waste of time. I'm not a leader. I don't want to be a leader. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh, actually, that was fascinating. I really enjoyed it. I'm now applying to do business leadership. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, what kind of journeys have you seen through that? Yeah, it, it, it's, I think that's a really good question. And as I said at the beginning, all five lessons would be different. And I think the group dynamics factor heavily in that. I've had, I've had groups where no matter how much I try, and it's not a criticism of the group, I need to find other tactics that they've not engaged as well as another group. And I think the groups where the dynamics work and there's engagement, I get, I get far more positive feedback as in how they're behaving in the lesson. And there's been somewhere it's, it's been a real trying to pull the ideas out of them. They, you know, they don't want to be there. But by and large, um, by the end of it, they see the purpose. It's the same as history or French or science. They might not all want to be there all the time, but by the end of it, I think they see the purpose of it. Uh, to a point where, as I said, we're revisiting our vision. They've start, I've given them the task of look at our vision and start coming up with some ideas about it. And we use that those ideas at our annual general meeting with parents. And I put all of the ideas on the table and said to parents, what do you think of this? How does this work in a vision moving forward? So we've, there's two stakeholders engaged there, but it was the stimulation, uh, the stimulant was from our students. And um, two very final quick questions on this topic is one, so you said you meet once every fortnight with each group. So they, they have a lesson on this once every two weeks for, for an hour? Yeah, an hour, hour for an hour. So the final thing I wanted to ask on that then was, um, do you have anything, is there like a resource, is there some literature, is anything you would share or would, you know, if people are interested in doing something similar in their school, if they've heard all that, I thought that sounds great. Is there anything you can give them or are you happy to, you know, reach out on LinkedIn or whatever just to sort of 
give a bit more insight or like here's here's our structure or anything like that? Yeah, no, if people want, if people are interested, I've done it with a couple of colleagues here as well. Um, if people are interested, I've, I've got a, a bank of resources. Um, I must admit, I use, I use YouTube, I use TED Talks. I, um, sometimes I'll look through and put, you know, um, challenges to leadership. Let's say that's it. And you put, put that in, you know, it's mainly the internet. I, 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 I do some formal reading, but I try and take the pressure off of the students so we don't set homework um, I, I say you can do wider reading as a suggestion, but you don't have to. So part of it is it's a bit of a break from their daily academic studies, but I've got lots of resources that people can have. So if they want to reach out on LinkedIn or, or whatever, they, they can, and I'm happy to share. We talked about you know, our email when we were setting up this podcast, and you talked about the idea of loneliness in headship, which is something that I think is quite understandable. You know, it is lonely being a leader. I feel that's something that comes up in those conversations with people sometimes. But do you find then, are these the sort of, are these doing these things, do you think that helps offset that for you yourself and, and or are there other things that you think are important that heads do or you try and do to reduce that idea of loneliness? And I'm guessing that's loneliness both in terms of having someone to turn to with a difficult decision or just even just to sort of sound off about the general day-to-day life of being a leader, right? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail head. Those sort of two areas are, are key. Um, I, I think I've been, well, going back to your first question, does the teaching help? For me, it does. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, as you say, sort of sound off or explore or just escape, I think um, that classroom can do that for you. You, you, can, you might have something on your mind, and if, if you phrase it correctly and not sort of um, use people's names or the exact topic, I think you can explore some of these uh, challenges you face on a day-to-day basis with the students. It's almost like a neutral party that you're, you're giving an idea to, saying, oh, you know, example you know a parent might say oh I don't think there's enough social media coverage of the school you know blah 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 whatever and and I want I want to reply saying oh do you know this and the other but I hold back and then suddenly you say to the students is there enough social media so what could we do better what else and and suddenly you get ideas and you and you in a way you're it's a bit cathartic you're letting that sort of um anxiety or or annoyance out but you actually get some positives back from the students going, no, do, do you know what? So a case in point, a student came up to me at the, we were walking out my first lesson with her this year. She was new to the school. And I said, how are you setting in? She said, brilliant. Can I just say how fantastic the school's marketing team is? And I said, really? What was that? She said, everything I saw about the school before coming is exactly what I'm seeing in the school now. And I went, do you know what? I'm going to go and see my marketing team. And that came out of that leadership lesson. And it was just a discussion. Um, so for me, that going into the classroom is a way of avoiding that loneliness and keeping in touch probably is, is, is another point. But I think there's other, there's other areas as well. Um, there's, you know, I, I think your team around you, when, as, a, as a leader, one of my things I really pride myself on is building strong teams. I don't always get it right, but it's something I, I, I really want to do. And if you build a strong team around you, I think there's a, uh, the opportunity to avoid that loneliness, that you can build that trust within the team the confidentiality within the team, but also the frankness. Um, so that having a strong team around you, I think, is is another way of avoiding that loneliness of headship, as as well as many other ways. What about then, in terms of if you if you're a leader who who doesn't teach, doesn't have that classroom time, which we talked about, you know, it's quite understandable for many. What are some other things then that again, like you do, or you would suggest people do, or that's worked for you? Yeah, you know, again, is it important to actually speak to the head down the road, who's not not see them just as a rival, but see them as a as a friendly competitor, but also a, a comrade. You know, how do you how do you address that kind of thing to get support elsewhere? No, Dan, you're absolutely right. I mean, as well as the team around you, which is, which is important, there's times when you can't talk to that team. What if there's a challenge in that team itself and you think, actually, that's too close to them, I need to break out. So, yeah, I, I at both 
in Qatar and um, in Abu Dhabi, I've worked hard to try and network with the local heads. Uh, at, at my interview, interesting enough, here, we the, the school's 53 years old. It's the oldest school in the region. Uh, and it's been the only school for many, many years. And then new schools have come in. Um, and I know the board were, were fearful. Uh, and when they asked me about you know, working here, they said, do you see these schools? How do you see these schools? And I know in their mind, they saw them as a threat. And I and I had actually done a SWOT analysis and I, and I put it down as an opportunity. And I said, the other schools are an opportunity. And, and they, they raised their eyebrows. I said, yes, we're competitive on the sports field or in a you know, chess tournament or whatever, in a music competition. But we all want the same thing at the end of the day, and that's to give the very best education we can to as many students as possible. Now, when I say we, it could be we as one school, it could be we as a collective of schools. Um, so we, we, I've reached out with the, the other heads, there's six of us, so we go out for dinner probably once every six weeks, bang our heads against a brick wall, because we all like, whatever job you have, you have the same frustrations. Um, if there's issues that we're finding, say, through regulation requirements, one school might be one month ahead of us. Um, and we share that and say, this is how we got through it. So our lo a local heads network is invaluable. Um, and I think the only competition should be, you know, in the school competitions, because we're far stronger together and the outcome for education for all of those students, all the students, you know, across the town, across the city, whatever, is better if we are coordinated in some way. Do you think that's easier to do if you are in a region where there, is, there are more schools around? You know, again, I guess maybe harder for you to reflect on this if you've not been in a scenario where you aren't the only school in the, in the region. But again, do you think, or do you think the International School Network does actually, you know, if you are in, on your own thousand miles away, yes, it's different, different context, it's a different whatever, but some of the universal challenges are there. You, know, you must talk to heads in other parts of the world and find common ground. You, know, you think the most important thing is just that you're talking to someone if, if it works for you. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question because you, you you have got schools that are isolated just by the nature of there's only one in the country or there's one in the city. So there are heads networks as well. So this and this isn't to push them. There's there's many, but I'm currently uh, chair of British schools in the Middle East. That's 150 schools from Cyprus across to India, um, and it's British curriculum schools. So they're like-minded schools. They're all very different. And of the 150, there's 150 varieties. We're not identical, but if we're dealing with the exam changes, there's 150 probably following those exam changes. So we, we network. So there's British schools in the Middle East. There's um, COBIS, there's uh, IAPS, in, uh, Independent Association for Primary Schools. There's HMC, the head, Heads Conference. You know, and they've, they've got a huge international uh, division. So I would strongly recommend part of the avoidance of loneliness and part of the um, support mechanism is to, if your school can, join one, not just the ones I've named, but an organisation that is suits your type of school um, because they are member they are member organizations set up for members to help the schools get better um, and and that is another one of the avoidance of loneliness so yeah i'd say a strong team around you um, I'd, I'd, I'd say you know your local heads network if that's possible and then some of these uh heads organizations school organizations that are there to support you no, absolutely. It's fascinating stuff. And I think, um, you know, hopefully as well, what, what, you know, what we can do at TES, and I, that's why I really liked in the podcast, is people like yourself coming on. You know, we, had, we had Kai Vasher last month. We've had, uh, you know, Mark Steed. We've had Liz Free. You know, all these people from all over the world sharing their insights and views. And hopefully as well, through doing that, people get a sense of, oh, I'm not the only one who has to think about this stuff or struggles with this. Or, oh, that's a great idea. I want to try that out. You know, that sharing. And that's what I think is so powerful about the sector is there is such a willingness to share. And there's no drawing down the, the you know, 
drawing up the drawbridge and saying, no, no, we're, you know, we're doing what we're doing. You don't need to know about it. It's much the opposite. It's, it's sharing and here's, here's the resource and here's what we can do. So I think it's great. And I think, you know, it's under, the last few years have been super difficult for, for all teachers, of course, and heads, especially running schools in, in COVID. So I expect some of these issues have come to the fore more. And hopefully for many, it has been the case of the school down the road saying, oh yeah, don't worry, you're not the only one. Because I think that's really important, isn't it? Look, you just named four people have been on your, three people have been on your podcast. Kai and Mark and I are on the phone once a week to each other, just reaching out, you know, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? There's no agenda. It's, you know, have you got that information? Can I help you? I called Mark the other day for some policy that we haven't got. You know, there is no need to reinvent a wheel these days. And I think the collaboration in education is often undersung. Um, and for me, um, it has been invaluable for the entire time I've been head. And it's been something I've wanted, I've helped support grow, but also benefited from the um, established relationships that were already there. Yeah, of course, there's times when you, there's confidential information you can't share for, you know, sort of industrial reasons and, you know, industry sector reasons. But by and large, most things within a school, we all operate fairly similar. Um, you know, no school is exactly the same, but we, we all have similar problems. And, and having those guys around to call has been a, a, an absolute godsend, not just with COVID, but all, all through my teaching and headship career. Well, that's fantastic. I think that's a great place to uh, to end it. And we talked about some really interesting things there about, you know, why you still teach and then this leadership course you provide to pupils, which I suspect a lot of people find very interesting, how you avoid loneliness as a head. And, and I suppose even why sometimes you have to accept it is lonely. Like you said there, like you can't always share everything, but you can still find avenues of engagement and, and sound, sounding off and sound, sounding boards, which is really important. So thank you so much for sharing. And I'm sure, you know, like you said earlier, people, if they want to find out more, want to get in touch, you're on LinkedIn, on on Twitter. Um, so, you know, please do get in touch with Mark if you want to. And obviously, I think if you're listening to this and you you yourself teach as well, then let us know on, on Twitter. I think we're really interested to know about other, other heads who do engage in there, you know, go out to the classroom as well. But Mark, for all your insights there, thank you so much for joining us. Dan, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Nice to be able to chat to you.